0: Kick in the door, you running with war. What's going on world and welcome inside to yet another edition of Open Run presented to you by War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins and I'm coming back at you yet once again besides my fellow co host senior NBA writer for War and Bulls insider beside Eugene McIntosh and Terrence Tomlin at the bigs with my brother Josh Hicks. What's been up with you, man? You tell me, when you coming in with this emphatic intro talking about, you know, quick and run, you're running with war. I'm like, oh, dang, it's a, <laughs> it's a different vibe in this year. Okay, I'm messed with it. Mess with it. <laughs> but outside of that, man, I'm good. I'm good. It's always a pleasure to hop on the mic with you. For sure, man. That's great to hear. In this week's edition of Open Run, we will take out the time to discuss the incredible play as of late from an Eastern Conference team in the city of brotherly love as well as a young upstart squad out in the Western Conference, who, as of this recording, surprisingly stands only a game and a half behind another squad, which we'll also take some time to talk about as well later on in the show. But before we take out the time to highlight the following clubs and go about discussing a series of other squads in the West Among another trio of teams in part two of our current Buyers and Sellers series, we want to take some time to give out some kudos this week to those who stood out over the past several days and beyond in our Hoops shout-out segment. Special Hoops shout-outs in this week's episode go out to the NBA's leading rebounder and big man DeMontis Sabonis of the Sacramento Kings as the center out of Gonzaga posted a triple-double stat line with 18 and a half points 14.3 rebounds to go alongside of 10.3 assists per game through four contests this past week which all resulted in wins for Sacramento en route to the two-time all-Star locking up Western Conference Player of the week honors in addition to Boston Celtics all-Star forward Jason Tatum who became not only the fourth player in NBA history to put up 50-plus points on MLK Day during Boston's 130-118 to road win against the Charlotte Hornets, but also surpassed Hall of Fame legend and Celtics icon Larry Bird for the most 50-plus point games in Celtics franchise history with the fifth 50-plus outing of his career to date. Mind you, he's only 24 years old. and and already has broken that record. Can't imagine what that record is going to be when it's all said and done with the way these 50 balls have been going this year across the league, as well as former Kentucky product and New York Knicks power forward Julius Randle, who poured in a game-high 42 points and 15 rebounds to help New York defeat the Pistons in Detroit this past weekend, all the while making some history of his own along the way with his performance as Randall became the first Nick player since the great Patrick Ewing in 1996 to drop 40-plus points and 15-plus rebounds in a single game. And last but not least, the San Antonio Spurs, who made a grand return to their former home in the Alamo Dome for the first time in nearly 21 years in commemoration of the franchise's 50th anniversary to take on the defending champion, Golden State Warriors, and set a new NBA single game attendance record in the process is 68,323 fans were on hand to witness the game up close in person last week. Former Spurs greats such as the Hall of Fame center David Robinson, Manu Ginobi, Tony Parker, and Sean Elliott were all on hand for the festivities in which shattered the previous record of the 62,046 who gathered to witness Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls square off against the Atlanta Hawks at the old Georgia Dome on March 27th, 1998. So with all of that said, Josh, I got to ask you, as always, starting out this week's show, who are some players, teams, or even you know, news or storylines that managed to either catch your eye or stand out the most to you over the last several days across this hoops landscape? First off, obviously you got to give shout out to the San Antonio Spurs and the NBA for pulling off what they did at the Alamo Dome. Yeah, let's let's be serious though. Sixty-two thousand people. Did you see those pictures of how far away people were from the actual court itself? I, you need binoculars. I'm not going to the game. I saw that. I I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that, bro. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna want to scope. Forget the game. I'm gonna want to just scope and walk around. That that's the case because I can't see anything. So I just would not do. That but hey, sixty-two thousand plus people decided to make efforts to be part of this historic event. So shout out to those sixty-two thousand people. As an NBA fan, I probably would want to attend, but I pray to God I get a closer seat than what I saw with those pictures because that was. I know what you. I know what you're talking about too, because it was some people that were seated all the way like in the nosebleeds, higher up, where like they were behind the corner scoreboards, Mm
1: -hmm. and they could
0: barely see. Anything I don't know who paid for those seats, but whoever did, God bless them because they just were pretty much in the building. I don't know how they were able to enjoy the experience, but it was 68,323 on hand. They surpassed the record, which was formerly 62,046, when the Bulls went to Atlanta to square off against the Hawks at the old Georgia Dome. I thought that world was pretty cool, though, and unique. Although the sight lines it brought back old memories of when I was a kid. Like, it was always tough, like, watching those games, even as a spectator at home, because them sight lines is just so bad. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I I can't do it. So kudos to the 68,000 people that chose to do it. Yeah. Much faster though. But I'm going to say, since outside of all the names you've mentioned, especially with Jason Tatum being the big one, 51 piece against the Charlotte Horde, against MJ's team, um. I gotta go with Nikola Vucevic and what he did against the Warriors. Okay, For the three point, uh, you know, thirteen rebound double double. You know, you talk about when you talk about the Bulls this season, it's always been around where's Vucevic and being MIA for the most part, or quite frankly, him not being aggressive enough offensively to help put the Bulls in the position they need to win. Well, Nikola Vucevic, especially as DeMar DeRozan has been out stepped up in major ways and let people know I was an all-star at one point, <laughs> you know, I would actually know how to play the game that well to where I was getting good money, max money to represent a franchise in an all-star game and potential playoff extra expectations when I was the main, the main guy. And that's why you brought me here. So for him to have that type of game in a way that he did it, all parts of the floor and really killed it on the inside, but he had the outside shot going And he dropped four assists as well. So he was actually being, you know, being a willing passer at the same time. You know, it was a good statement game for for Vujian. For him him to show uh, the lead that, hey, Vujian, even though I'm in a different role, Vujian can still give you big-time numbers if you put me in positions to do so. And that's something, that's a big statement, especially since, you know, for many Bulls fans, most likely, you want to see, especially moving moving forward, uh, you're going to need that type of play. But at the same time, if you're also looking at people like us that spectate the game, you could be thinking that's a good, that's a good, you know, good game for him to pull up that draft stock a little bit. You know, to help help get rid of him a little bit when that time <laughs> comes to their trade deadline? So there's a good, but overall for the Bulls, they need that, especially since the fearless leader DeMar DeRozan, is out. And he showed the world, he showed the world again why he's a why he's an all-star, a multi-year all-star. And I'm happy that he was able to have that game considering. That's his first 40-point game. And that's actually him match the season high uh, or career high uh, yeah. you know, ever since he played in the league. But it's his first 40-point game since he's been a Bull. So that is something that, you know, has to feel good to Nicola, especially uh, before they play the Detroit Pistons over in Paris uh, this Thursday. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, that's the Bulls' first international trip since 19... 19- 97 in yeah. France back yeah. when they were getting ready to go for a 3 peak going into that 97-98 campaign. So that's pretty cool to see. I, I got to admit seeing that was pretty impressive even though I know Nicola Vucevic is capable of doing that, to see him actually do that and put that game together against who he put it up against as well in the defending champion Golden State Warriors. You got to tip your cap off to him. Kinda of wonder if he was auditioning for him a little bit. If they do need some help in the material, but as you said, that was a game that they needed. And I mean, I know Demar has been reported to be playing this week in Paris against the Pistons. However, if going go keep playing like that, I mean, you might want to tell Demar sit a couple more games because I haven't seen him play like that in a while. But for me. As far as the things that stood out to me the most, I could easily highlight LeBron James, you know, becoming only the second player in the history of the NBA to ever reach the 38,000 point plateau and only stands just 315 points shy when it comes to surpassing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for most career points all time by a player as of this recording. I mean, he's averaging nearly 30 a night on 51% shooting from the field, still getting to the line around six times a night. If you asked him, he'd probably tell you the number should be higher. But to see a player who is the elder statesman of the game, in which many wondered how he would fare with all of the lights on him from the day he entered the league just 20 years ago, continue to go about exhibiting what he's done on a night-to-night basis, has been nothing short of phenomenal. As his legacy within this game will... Ever stand the test of time, but there have been two guys this week whose play has stood out to me the most over the last several days. Starting with a guy who we discussed last week when it came to our frustrations as to why this guy wasn't among the top ten of the first return of All Star fan voting among guards in the East, and still not for reasons unknown to me, as well as Josh, I I believe, as the second return just came out last week, and that's Jalen Brunson, man. The reigning Eastern Conference Player of the Week, New York's Knicks guard, posted a 34-5-5 and line through a four-game stretch on the way to lead New York to a 3-1 and record last week. He's averaging over 30 points per game in his last 10 outings. And he's really proven to be the spark plug and the go-to scorer that this Knicks team needs him to be in clutch minutes time and time again. He's been that steady floor general along the way that this team missed. To a great degree last year, when they were attempting to make it to the playoffs and back-to-back seasons for the first time dating back to the early days of the Carmelo Anthony era and NYC, he's tied with De'Aaron Fox, as I have it here, for number two in clutch points. With 99 on the year, only DeMar DeRozan has more this season. Mind you, he's only committed three turnovers in these games when the scoring margin is within five points or less in the final 5 minutes or less in the game. That's saying something. Especially when you mm-hmm. consider how high his usage rate is and while you know you could say that he should pass the ball a little bit more in these situations, I've heard a lot of criticism about that. He has a case on why he shouldn't. You know, he's shooting 52% from the floor, 50% from deep in clutch minutes for a Knicks team that has benefited greatly from his ability to make quick decisions on the fly take over late in ball games. I mean, some of you Bulls faithful who listen to our show, including Alex Caruso, who got a firsthand lesson himself, they know what I'm talking about firsthand. As you know, they've been one of the many victims to Brunson's prowess and high IQ late in games this season, as we know. He's using his speed and quickness to get into the body of defenders who try to step out and defend him on that perimeter, driving inside the lane and, and looking to score, either with the floater game or getting straight to the cup He's getting to the free throw line at a career high clip. He's shooting about five free throws a night, hitting 85% of them, which I also believe is a career best. And he got a game in the post too right now, turnaround fadeaways that he's using on smaller guards. And, you know, he, he, if you double him, he's setting up Emmanuel quickly, or Julius Randle for shots. I know Julius Randle has had an a all-star worthy campaign himself. But without Jalen Brunson, I don't know where this Knicks team is right now. And last but not least, I got to give a shout out to this rookie, man. A rookie who I thought the Bulls should have had on their draft board. A rookie who the Bulls passed up. And he ended up going four picks later after Dalen Terry. And that's the number 22 pick in last year's draft. Walker Kessler, Jazz Rookie Center. I call him the Ranger. Young big man out of Auburn. He's done an incredible job, man, you know, just displaying an ability to not only just protect the rim as a shot blocker, but also as an all-around defender. And this was a guy that was named the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year in college just a season ago prior to entering the draft. And he's really cemented himself as a guy in the league that you don't want to drive on. And as a guy that can alter shots, he's out there calling coverages on the floor, which is positive to see. And you don't see that from rookies most often considering the fact that these guys are going up against players who are oftentimes playing with more physicality and at an incredibly much faster pace than they're accustomed to. And he's coming outside even is sometimes moving his feet to defend guards, which is incredible, man. And he's making good things happen on the floor. And he don't even need to play to get called for him in order to score. He's getting tip-ins, put-back dunks, rebounds, you know, converting a lot of second-chance buckets for Utah – All the while, even creating some opportunities just off rebounds and kicking it out to shooters. This man just had a 20 and 20 game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. The same team that held his draft rights and traded him to Utah is part of the Rudy Gobert trade. And he's one of only three rookies in the last 20 years to do that, with the last one being Gordy Jane. In 2014, and oh, by the way, the last rookie to post a 20-plus point, 20-plus rebound game, all the while shooting at least 65 percent or better from the field, you got to go back 30 years to Alonzo Mourning to find another guy that's done that. And he's coming off of the bench, but he's been starting over the last three games, and he's averaging a double-double in the 10 games in which he started this season. All around averaging 13 and a half points, 13.2 rebounds, and three blocks per game over the last four games for the Jazz in games in which he's been called upon to start in the absence of Lori Marketing and then Kelly Olenek due to injury, man. So when I see what I'm seeing from this guy right now, it's been nothing short of, of, of special. He, he became the first rookie since Thurl Bailey in Jazz history to record seven blocks in a game, which he did last week. Followed that up, going seven for seven with a double-double on Joel Embiid, albeit in a close loss. You know, before he put up the 2020 game, man, this dude is becoming a player where it's going to become hard for Will Hardy to make a case for him not being in the start lineup. His motor is that good. And his presence has been that valuable for a jazz team that finds itself within the thick of the play-in race to many people's surprise after considering the fact that they gave up not only Gobert, but Donovan Mitchell this past summer. Yeah. uh, Kessler is a very interesting uh, situation because of the fact that we always talk about how where players play at, the situations matter. Yeah, And, Utah Jazz's situation is very young, less expectations, you know, very free for all considering this is the first year of a rebuild, right? So because of that, I think it just opened the door for guys like Kessler, for guys like Lori Markkinen to just come in and just say, yo, let's just do what we do. And by doing that, they're excelling at such a rate where like you said, They're not just only fighting for playoff positioning, but they're shocking and beating expectations of what it means to actually be effectively effective, good players and improving that player talent over time. Now you're giving the Utah jazz an opportunity to think about, okay, like you said, coach Hardy got to make decisions on whether he should be more starting more or not, but it goes further than that. It goes into, okay, if we continue to rebuild, who else can we, can we be buyers per se? to help push this and speed up this process or most or or, or, or at that same time ride the season out and just that that's just the rookie year imagine what it's going to be the next year when they have more uh playing time under the belt they actually have a full off season together to work on their games and excel in different rates you know kessler being a rookie he's probably going to finish at this rate all rookie team if oh, you take, he if, gotta be Yeah. Ain't no doubt about it. First team all-rookie. I got more numbers for you, bro. He leading all rookies in block shots with 87 swats thus far this season. And he coming off the bench primarily. The only player that comes close to that in his class is Christian Coloco of the Toronto Raptors with 45. And he ranks only behind Detroit's Jalen Duran in total rebounds as well as rebounds per game among rookies with 7.2 per game. And he's doing this all the while playing under 20 minutes a night through his first 44 contests in the NBA. If he ain't first-team all-rookie, I don't know who is. That's facts, man. And, and the fact that that is in Utah with a rising all-star and Lori Marketing. Yes, I said all-star for Lori Marketing should deserve to be in an all-star game this year.
1: It's we agree. incredible
0: with what he's done. So to have all that take place, it puts it puts Utah in a unique bind considering you still have quality, talented veteran players that you're technically trying to get rid of so you can do an official rebuild, but you're putting yourself in a position where you know what? As much as you want to, you know, sell per se when we talk about the buyer and sellers market and removing those veteran players so that way you can kind of start a full rebuild, you also got to wonder, you know what, maybe because they're playing so well, do we actually stick to the schedule or do we adjust it a little bit and see if we can get a playoff run? Make some noise so that way when you show – the league, if you do make the playoff, especially if you're not just winning a play in, but actually go further into the first round, maybe even go past the first round. Now you're talking now you're sending a message to the league saying that Utah really ain't no rebuild team. We kind of ready right now. Do you, and, that could, and that could be the next thing when it comes to bringing other quality players back in, which is going to be surprising, considering we did not expect this since they got rid of the two best players that the franchise has had in this decade. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great assessment. But one thing I'll say in regards to, you know, Kessler, like, specifically, they got to find a way to get him one minute. He, if he's doing this in under 20 minutes a game, I can only imagine what he could do if you give him 25 to 30, 32 consistently. You do that, the sky's the limit. Because the way I see it, Kelly on Linux days, in Salt Lake City, a number. Mm-hmm. Lori marketing and Walker Kessler, they looking like the premier 4-5 combination out in Utah. You get a quality wing beside them, which they might already have, O'Shea Abachi
1: mm-hmm. right
0: now, who's been putting together some stellar minutes off the bench for the Jazz over these last several outings. Could really have some with that young core right beside Colin Sexton leading the way because the transition is coming and whether or not they find a way into the playoffs or not future sure as hell looking bright but I want to segue away from the players and storylines that caught our eyes the most to discussing a team that lies in the city we're based out of in a franchise my running mate Josh has had the time to closely follow throughout this season, and that's the Chicago Bulls, who, as of our recording, find themselves in the same spot as they did last week in the Eastern Conference standings, sitting in the 10th and final spot of the play-in picture, except this time tied with the Toronto Raptors as we highlight them, despite having a very tough week after capturing eight wins in their last 11 games prior to entering it as the Bulls failed to make any upward ground at all after suffering a pair of losses against the Boston Celtics and Washington Wizards in rough fashion on the road who were without the services of Chris Stapp, Porzingis, and Bradley Bill while allowing the Oklahoma City Thunder to annihilate them on their own home floor this past weekend. Yet, in typical Bulls fashion this season, would show up against the Golden State Warriors to close out the week as the team who would get beat by 14 points by the Thunder would return the same favor against the champs in their long visit this season to the UC Led behind, as we spoke on earlier in the show, Nikola Vucevic, 43-point, 13-rebound, and 4 assists day and Zach Levine, who chipped in with 27 points of his own in the absence of DeMar DeRozan for the third straight game due to a strained right quad. Bulls are currently overseas out in France, getting set to take on the Detroit Pistons as part of the NBA Paris games in their long game of the week. As recent reports have indicated that DeRozan is expected to return for the following contest. So we currently pass the halfway point of the season, Josh. And while the Bulls have managed to fare pretty well against upper echelon teams in the Eastern Conference, but also across the NBA as a whole, you could say, they haven't found a way to take care of those on the outside looking in. A trend that is the reverse opposite of what transpired a season ago. What do you make of that? And what do you think beyond any personnel moves must be done to change it in time for the Bulls to make a late push based not only on your own given insight, but what you've heard being inside the locker room As I saw you got a chance to catch up with Zach Levine as well as Kobe White to talk with them following their win against Golden State. Yeah. Yeah. The, the trend that this Bulls team continues to go through is in a lot of ways lack of effort and respect on certain, especially on the defensive end of the floor. That's just pr- pretty much where it starts. They're not that good of a defensive team as they once were before. When you look at the defensive uh, rating right now, they started off the season at the top 10 team,
1: mm-hmm. more
0: on the 10, more at more the number like 9, 10 slide. Now they're currently sitting at 18. With 100 with a net rating of 113, so their defense has slid drastically. And on top of that, you have no identity offensively. That's still an issue because when you have situations where you rely so much on Demar Derozan, you know it can only take you so far. And on top of that, it stagnates your offense when you the Bulls. The, the, the formula for the Bulls has always been the same. When you get the ball to Nikola Vučević in the post, it doesn't matter if he scores. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Once he gets the ball in the post, the offense flows better. This inside-out game is the, move, is the offense that the Bulls need to consistently run. But they don't want to consistently run that throughout the games. And, they, and when they go away from it, it's like a bad habit. You break that. You 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 know. You try to do good. You're on the pace to do good. You you break the ha- bad habit. You don't automatically just go back and be like, okay, that was just one mistake, and then I'm back on a good on a good path. No, you dip. <laughs> That's just the reality. <laughs> you dip. They dip throughout the games consistently. They go through bad stretches. Whereas, like, okay, we're gonna get away from good for a while. We're gonna start doing isolation basketball. We're gonna start doing our own thing, and that is what kills the Bulls. And You don't have that type of direction because the reality is you don't have a true point guard. You don't have someone that can settle the team down and say, hey, no, we're going to run this, put them in a position they need to run, and let the offense flow. That's what Lonzo Ball brought to this team on the offensive end. He brought stability. He brought high IQ. And he brought an intensity that forced the other star players on this Bulls roster to run their offense in such a way. Billy Donovan was a genius when you have Leon Ball at the point guard position because it changed everything. But you don't have that right now. IO is still learning how to be a point guard. Even though he can play, he's still learning to be a point guard. Kobe White is not a point guard, he's a combo guard. He's someone that can score the ball, but he can't facilitate at the rate that an IO or Alonzo Ball can. At at moments, they played Alex Caruso point guard. I hate to be honest with you. Alex Caruso ain't no point guard. He's he's not. So because of the fact that you have such limited point guard play, that drastically impacts how people can get the ball, especially guys like Vucic, who's not a very demanding type of person when it comes to the offensive end. He plays in the flow of an offense. So – To be able to see him have the performances that he did against the Golden State Warriors, it's like, well, God, where has that been? Because it's always been there. He just just never played to that level because, quite frankly, the offense never allowed him to do so. So one thing that – outside of that, though, I will say this. Zach Levine is slowly but surely growing his playmaking skills. And I asked him about that after the game against the warriors and pretty much he was saying was, I kind of haven't in his own way. I don't really have a choice, but to do that because one, we don't have a really, we don't really have a point guard like that. But two, he said third and fourth quarters teams are double teaming me. I have no choice, but to look for my other teammates and put them in positions to score. So that way they can get going when I can't get going in a way that I want to myself. So he understands the importance of playmaking. He's been averaging five assists a game ever since the, uh, since the later part of December going into the new year. So he's improved his playmaking skills, but there's also one caveat to this thing. It's the reality of Zach Levine. He's not your one. A. I mean, he's not your number one guy. This is the perfect opportunity that the Bulls had to see. Okay. We signed the max player. DeMar DeRozan is out. Let's see what you do. And he plays like he normally plays, which is good numbers, very good numbers. But that leadership component, that taking that team to the next level, that mentality of, okay, I am the guy on this team. Everybody comes on my back, and we're going to push this thing forward. It's not there yet. Does I have a chance? Yeah, but it's not there yet. And that's why, these, that's why the Bulls have been losing these games because they don't have Zach Levine taking on what a DeMar DeRozan would do and taking that team to, the extra, to that extra step. And I think he's learning some of that. The team is learning some of that. And it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle until that time comes because this is the first time, in all honesty, Zach Levine actually has heavy responsibility on him. And he's learning what that looks like as a max player. So this is a grind-out season for him, but also for the Bulls in finding out not just an identity, but when it comes to certain expectations, can you actually live up to those expectations on any given night? And that's something that the Bulls have struggled ever since the season began. Yeah, for me, I think the Bulls have an identity offensively. I just think that they may not have the proper personnel to execute it. And their identity is when they're at their best is get the rebound and push it up the floor and seek to get easy scoring chances because in half court, unless if you're able to play through Demar, which over the last three games, they haven't been, well, everything just bottoms out. And that's something that they have to work on. But at this point, it's kind of like the late Dennis Green said, they are who we thought they were. Well, to reverse that, they are who they already are. They mm-hmm. weren't a good half-court team last year. They're not a good half-court team this year. A lot of that is due to the personnel that they have on this team and mostly consistent of young guys and not having that true point guard, as you alluded to, with Lonzo Ball out of the mix, even though as of late he's shown some positive signs of progression from his injury with being able to dunk and so forth, even though he's yet to showcase any ability to cut or run, as it really doesn't look like he's going to come back at all this year based off of what I've heard and seen. Right. And maybe you could clarify that if I'm wrong or whatever, but that's what it, 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 it sounds like coming out the Advocate Center. But with all of that said, they don't they, – they have an identity. But I agree with you, like, on the defensive end, like, the rotations are a step too slow. And it's a lot of inconsistencies when it comes to effort. Mm-hmm. You brought it up last week when we – Talked about the Bulls and saying that you never know what team you're gonna get on a night by night, game by game basis. Well, we saw that last week against Washington, where they had a double digit lead. Then the third quarter come around. Chris Porzingis and Bradley Beal, Washington's top two options on the floor almost nights, nice, they not playing. But you letting Anthony Gill, no disrespect. NBA player, he earned his money, but you letting him have a field day on you. On top of that, you giving up 30 plus points on the defensive end in a single quarter. And you turn a double digit lead into a double digit deficit. The Bulls have to understand that basketball is not a 12 minute game, it's not a 24 minute game, it's not a 36 minute game. It's a 48-minute game, and you got to play all of it if you want to win, and if you're not going to do the little things that are necessary for you to win games, such as winning the 50-50 battles on the boards, winning the rebounding numbers, and winning in the first quarter, and setting the tone each and every single night, it's going to be hard for you to to, to win games consistently because when you're playing from behind as much as the Bulls are in a lot of these games and having to expend so much energy coming back night in and night out you know what happens when it gets to those final five minutes you get tired you start settling for shots we see it with the Los Angeles Lakers some nights they got the same problem
1: mm-hmm.
0: And you know what? They got something in common. They both under 500.
1: Bulls fighting for playing and positioning. Lakers doing the exact same.
0: Tell me it don't add up. It's the simple principles and the attention to detail that's being lost. Do I believe that Billy Donovan is trying to translate that to this group? Yeah. But is the group getting the memo? No. And I don't know whether or not if that's Billy's fault fully. However, he has to bear some of the blame, but the players do as well. And at some point, if you exclude the personnel moves that need to be made prior to the deadline, the, the only way I feel is, though, they can change it is by bringing the same energy which they bring when the top teams come into town, no when 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 the bottle feeders do. You just got you got to do that. You know, like I, I'm still perplexed by the fact that they lost to a Houston team that only has 10 wins this season. Mm-hmm. In spite of the young talent that they have, they shot the lights out against them. And that defense or the effort that they displayed on defense in that game and many games to follow. For the most part, best par. Yeah,
1: man,
0: you you hit all the all, you hit all the right all the right spots. Um, as far as what I've heard regarding Lonzo Ball, you know, Bulls are still optimistic that you know he's progressing. Um, they're optimistic that you know you know progress is being made, and they, they, let's put it this way: they're going to publicly say they want him back. Be, of course. They're not going to cut him off saying that he's not coming, but let's be serious. You know, it's not looking good that he's coming back. It's, it's no guarantee that he's coming back at all. Matter of fact, you might not well play the rest of the season like you're not going to have him. And I think that's the problem that the Bulls are having. That's one of the problems because you're constantly putting out this belief that, oh, Lonzo Ball's going to come back. He's going to come back. He's going to help fix a lot of these issues. When, quite frankly, Lonzo Ball's not on the right track to play this season. That's just reality. And two, even if he does come back, he's not going to play like the Lonzo Ball of old right away. You're talking about a guy that comes on the court and hasn't played basketball in over a year. That's going to take time for that person to get off the rust. It's going to take time for him to get his timing together. And when you talk about how bad defensive the team is, imagine that much pressure he has to play defending the perimeter, being the go-to person at the point guard, trying to push the transition game, and then whenever you have situations where one, th- one of your three main guys ain't hitting it, guess what's the number four option? Lonzo Ball. You got to make sure he's shooting and hitting the shots, which is not a guarantee starting off the season when he, when he does come back. So it's going to be a lot of pressure on Lonzo Ball if he does choose to play this season. And if so, he has to be able to, to handle what the Bulls are pretty much – the situation the Bulls are pretty much getting him to. Because the reality is the boys are treating him like he's the savior right now. And they're not planning to make any moves. They're not planning to make any moves at this trade deadline. They, they're so, um, they really are sticking to what they said they were going to do. When it comes to, this is the core that we have, we trust the core, we're gonna ride this core out. But, if I, I, but my, counteract, my counter uh, position to that would be but you also said in the beginning of the season that Michael Reinsdorf gave you full green light on whatever money you need in order to make the best moves to improve this roster. So if, you know, the record and the play is telling me that, quite frankly, this roster is not working, why are we so hellbound in keeping the court? Why are we so hellbound to keeping the roster? Something got to give if you want to go back to the playoffs and go deeper than the first round, which is something you adamantly have said since the beginning of the season, something has to give. Otherwise, guess what? You're gonna be you're gonna play the rest of the season, hoping and praying that a change does happen within this current core, and the Bulls make the playoffs. But even, but when you look at the, even but even when you even go on that type of a prayer, which I'm not counting it out, we're seeing a lot more crazy things happen in the league. So it can't happen. But let's be serious. The Bulls are sitting 10th in the East. If they make it through the play-in, 9 out of 10, they're going to have to play either Boston, Brooklyn, or Milwaukee. You're getting swept in the first round. That's just reality. You might get one game in, maybe two, depending on the team. But 9 out of 10, you're you're not going to win the series. So you just accomplished at the best scenario possible what you just did last season with the same core what are you going to do moving forward? Like, that's the thing. That's what gets me with the bulls team. You see that they're sticking to what they're saying, which is a lot better than previous regime. You know, you can trust them from that regard, but trusting in the fact that this is the core is going to get you to the next level at this current, rate, At this current rate, with the personnel that's there, you can't trust that. So because of that, you have to question now at this point. You talk about Billy Donovan. I'm not, you, it goes past Billy Donovan at this point. That's, that's, that's Acme. That's front office. That's front office looking and seeing that, okay, Billy Donovan is constantly saying all the right things in the, in the, in the press conferences. He's pretty, I'm pretty sure he's doing these things in the, in the practices. Something's not clicking. So you got to work with Billy to figure out what it is. And you already started that by saying that you had meetings with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine on separate occasions, more than once, to see what the issue is. Right. So since you did that, why hasn't anything been done when you when you know and see? Then you clearly see, you know, on the court, something's not right. That's that's well said. And they definitely got some decisions to make, and the way I see it, if they're going to stand pat like they've been saying, and not even try to make a small move. Um, to put it nicely, in- in short and sweet, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how all of this plays out. But I want to move the show along from the squad and the goal to talk about an Eastern Conference foe in which the Bulls actually defeated a couple of weeks ago and once found themselves sitting at 500 prior to the holidays. Now, after winning 15 out of their last 19 games, now stand only a half a game behind the Nets for the number two seed in the East as of this recording in the Philadelphia 76ers, who currently stand at 27 and 16 record-wise this season and sit fourth overall in the Eastern Conference all the while boasting a six and two record in their last eight games is Joel Embiid is averaging nearly 35 points and 10 rebounds per game over this time span. Besides James Harden, who has returned to the fold averaging a double, double line of his own posting 23 points and nearly 12 assists per game with seven rebounds. For me, Josh, The Sixers' recent turnaround and what's led to it is rather simple. It's hardening and being having managed to establish a chemistry working alongside of one another after having a full training camp to not only just work beside one another, but getting enough game action and game reps in to determine where they like to operate the most and can do so the most effectively. And as a result, I believe, this translating to wins because they're buying into the program. There was a time when Joel Embiid wasn't used to operating as the role man out of a pick-and-roll set because he didn't have a point guard who was serviceable enough to do that with consistently, who was also a threat where if you dropped hard enough, could lift and knock down a three, be it off of a step back created or just a simple three that was wide open. Well, We're starting to see him get a bit more comfortable doing that now besides Harden operating at the one. On top of that, we're seeing Harden be more of a willing passer, and he's uncovering his spots in regards to when and where to attack and make things happen as a scorer. Like the, and this was most prevalent to me the most just watching him on the weekend against Utah, of Salt Lake City, man, because he reeled off a stretch where he scored 16 straight in a row for Philadelphia. And I'm talking about Harden in that fourth quarter during the middle of that ball game. And then when they were down by one in clutch time, he orchestrated a ball screen action with Embiid. He had him set a screen hit him with a behind-the-back pass, drew the double team to set up Embiid with a, a one-on-one matchup against Walker Kessler, who we just talked about earlier. Now, he contested it well, but not enough. He created enough space on a mid-range fadeaway to seal the game for Philadelphia, Embiid did, which proved to be the game-winning shot. And this is an action that I think they're going to go to a lot more come playoff time as the game slows down. As the Sixers' offense on most nights it's going to go according to how them two operate. Montrez Harrell has played well as of late off the bench. They've gotten the help from Tyrese Maxey, as we know. He came off of the bench and they're winning against the Lakers, if I'm not mistaken. And they have kind of trying to figure out whether or not to start him or uh, bring him off the bench as a six-man. But right now, I think a lot of the success has been predicated upon the two-man game in which Harden and Embiid have been able to generate. And as a result, they've gone from being 26 overall in offensive efficiency when Harden was out in the month of November to 6th last month and now 5th as of this recording in the month of January. Man, I don't even need I'm, – I'm just going to put the icing on the cake for this one because you hit all the points. I'm going to get gonna put a little <laughs> icing on the cake for this one. Yeah, what's led to the turnaround? Yeah, well, I think – a healthy James Harden, a healthy James Harden. Because, like you mentioned, Harden was out for a while while due to injury, and I think he's now got his swagger back. He got that pop in him. He got back in him what made James Harden James Harden. Okay. Combine that with a Joel Embiid, who we all know is the freakish player that he is, averaging the numbers that he's playing, You talk about how those two are buying into the program. I think on top of that, yeah, there's a, before they even bought into the program per se, it was a solidification of of them playing at the best level at the same time. We never really got to see what that looked like since James Harden has been in Philadelphia. James Harden had a lot of instances when, when Joel Embiid wasn't hitting or scoring at the best rate, James Harden was averaging 30 plus. But when Joel Embiid or when James Harden wasn't doing his best through the injury or he was just having off games, that's when we saw Joel Embiid elevate his game. I think this is the very first time since the two players got together since last season, you actually saw James Harden and Joel Embiid consistently play at the highest levels of basketball that they can. And having that combined with the, and the improvement of Montrezl Heralds coming off the bench. Harry's Maxi having a career year. Those are the things that's going to help take the, the 76ers to that next level. And like you just mentioned, they bought into the program, but they're not just buying into the program. They're ex- executing and excelling within the program at a rate that quite frankly, Philadelphia hasn't had since those two got together. I think to me, that's the biggest difference. When you, uh, when you talk about the pairing of the two, not just the pairing of the two and the talent we know that they have, but rising to the occasion both at the same time together each and every night as of recent, playing at the high level to give Philadelphia the chance to excel as a team to get them to where they are now. I think that's the key that's, that, make, that gives Philadelphia a chance. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, you add the play of other guys on the bench. We talked about Montrez Harrell. But Sheikh Milton has come through, even in spite of not really shooting the best from beyond the arc to start the year. I have the numbers in front of me right now. he's shooting forty four percent from Three Point land off of the bench in the month of January. George NeA is also shooting forty four percent from downtown in the month of January and. If their bench, especially in the minutes in which Embiid sits, can give them any positive contribution at either end of the floor, Doc Rivers will take it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, i must say, as somebody who has covered Harden dating back to his time in Houston, he's not the explosive player that he once was. He's taking more mid-range shots than he ever has before. And he's also posting up a lot more. Things that I think are a plus. However, there are some times where he tried to get to that rim, and you could tell he's just not able to get there at the level that he once used to be. And I think those years in Houston when he was leading the league and scoring has taken some of the tread off the tires, if you will. But if he can learn how to counterbalance his act like he has been doing lately, and do that consistently down the stretch, Philly can be nice. And one thing you got to keep in mind, in the playoffs, the game is predicated in the half court. Mm -hmm. If, If B can stay out of foul trouble and just stay healthy, then maybe they have a shot. I still think they need a couple of pieces on the bench, and I have to see it to believe it. Because one thing about Philadelphia is that they always have these stretches in the regular season where they look dominant. Mm -hmm. People forget just a couple years ago, they were the number one seed and people were ready to pencil them in as the favorite in the East. Mm -hmm. However, it proved to be to no avail. Joel, And James has some nice synergy going in the honeymoon phases last year, but it faltered. Now, I don't think they are running it at this season, but those other guys got to continue to step up and be solid. I think Tobias Harris has stepped up as well as of late, but I'm interested to see how far that they can take it. But I want to ask you this real quick. Josh, last week we took the time to discuss the impact of Kevin Durant's injury and how it impacts the Nets as they try and stay among the top half of the Eastern Conference. Brooklyn's lost their first two games without KB thus far. One to the Celtics, the other one to a team that we'll talk about in a minute. But do you believe that the Sixers are the team that benefits the most from the month long stretch in which KD will be out of action. I believe so. Um uh, especially since, you know, they're they're not too far out from that four and two spot. They could switch that real quick. Um so I'm not going to so I I think they have, you know, the best benefit from it. However, I will say this. You know, it's different when you play a month without Kevin Durant, but when you got a healthy Kevin Durant going to the playoffs, that's a whole other beast. Oh, and, for sure. <laughs> you know, we, and I think when when I was reading the rundown, you wanted, you know, one of the things you asked was, you know, you know, what led to turn how far did they, they can go? Well, when you look at the standings, you know, I think it just depends on where they where they end up finishing the season at. Because let's just say that, and let's because let's just say. The playoffs start today. They're the fourth seed. They play against the fifth seed. Who's the fifth seed? The Cleveland Cavaliers. Cleveland. Yeah, I was about to say Cleveland. Yeah, at the top of my head, I had to look for a minute. Right. The that would be a hell of a family. series. That would be a hell of a series. But it can be a problem for Joel B too. Oh, yeah. He actually got defenders that are young and lengthy that can actually handle and have the versatility to guard his offensive game. Combine that with the young guards and guard-to-guard matchup in James Harden against Donovan Mitchell, which is already going to be a powerful uh, guard dynamic on offense and defensively, I think Donovan Mitchell can hold his own. But what about Tyrese Maxey? Oh, I forgot. You got a guy named Darius Garland, an all-star, who can technically guard him too. I think Philadelphia loses that series. I really do. And, if they, and, and, that's, and them not making it past the first round. And that doesn't even include going against teams like Milwaukee Bucks, who've always been stable. They're they're winning games without Giannis right now. And Chris Mills. So, I think it just depends on where they end up in the seeding. If they play anyone lower than the fifth seed right now, oh yeah, most definitely. You can can pretty much do a write-in for that. If they have to play against any of those top teams, if they slip and they got to play any of those top teams, bro, I don't know. They may not go very far. And that's not good. And that's not a good look for Philadelphia considering they gave up a lot to get James Harden. You know, and this is and this is also another knock against Doc Rivers because he is known for not going far further than what he should be when it comes to playoff and winning expectations. He's only done it once, and he hasn't done it again since he won that championship in Boston. So I don't know. I think this is the year where. If, they, if Philadelphia doesn't go far, which, quite honestly, especially with the way this is looking right now, I don't expect them to. So if they don't go, pretty, if they don't go farther than what, than what they should or they need to be, this is the year where you check, okay, is James Harden staying here long-term or not? Do we move up with Doc Rivers as the head coach? Because at the end of the day, he's had multiple tries now to turn this thing around. He hasn't turned it around in the way that they wanted it. What is Daryl Mori going to do? Do you start hearing the Mike D'Antoni rumors if James Harden stays? Do you hear any other coaching uh, p- possibilities that could take up for Doc Rivers considering, you know, they, their success has become limited than what it should be? It's a lot of question marks that's going to come up in the air. So this is the make it, I think this is the make and break year for, for Philadelphia. And then if they don't do all well this year, I don't know. You, you, you cover James Harden in Houston. This report's going out that James Harden want to go back to Houston. Yes, it was during the Christmas holidays. You're correct. Right. If that is true, you're telling me James Harden's going to turn down the opportunity to play with Joel Embiid, one of the best players in this game, to play with the Young Rucks? Oh, that, that, that's that's it's, it's that type of stuff that's like, whoa, to me. When you think about that's even an option at this point for James Harden. Considering where he's been through, not just in Houston, but going from there to Brooklyn, playing with another stars, other stars and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and then going from to Philadelphia, where he has at least one superstar to play with and dwell and I, I, It's, it's going to be a very interesting offseason if the Philadelphia Sixers don't accomplish their real expectations, which should be a championship. This is a roster that's built for a championship. You know, you bring up a lot of good points, but then one point, too, that you got to consider is is if they were to get knocked out within the first two rounds of the playoffs, not only what that means for Doc Rivers, Daryl Morey, and James Harden, what's the future of Joel Embiid in Philadelphia? Does he even want to be in Philadelphia? If that happens, that's why... I kind of wonder, and that's the question that I would have to ask myself because everybody talks about the Harden and Houston rumors, but what about Joel? You know, that's a guy, if you was to say he's on a trading block or Joel was to go to the Sixers front office and say, hey, I want out of here, you know, everybody in the league going to be picking up their phones for him. So it's a situation that remains to be seen. I wasn't really doing too much forecasting into the future, but now that we're talking about it and you saying that Philadelphia is the fourth seed, which they are, and if the season ended today, they would play Cleveland. Yeah, that would make for one hell of a first-round series, and that's a first-round series that I think could go either way. And on paper, you would have to be mentally prepared for it being a seven-game series if it were to go down. With all that said, though, I do believe if Philadelphia can get a top two or three seed some way, somehow, that maybe, yeah, they they could get into that second round. But what you're highlighting is very important, Josh, and I I get what you're trying to to establish, and that's the importance of matchups in the playoffs. Mm Mm-hmm. And how key they are in determining either how far a team goes or how quickly a team can end up going home sooner than many people expect. But I want to depart away from Philadelphia to talk about a young team that finished with a 24 and 58 record a season ago, but now they stand only just three wins shy. Of their win total last year and only a game and a half behind the Los Angeles Clippers for the sixth spot in the Western Conference playoff picture, and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have put together a 15-6 and record since mid-December and won six out of their first eight games to open up the new year as they have managed to garner some big-time wins in their last three consecutive games sitting only half a game behind the 10th and final play-in spot in the West, despite being without rookie forward Uzman Dane, Alexei Pokushevsky, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl due to various injuries, in addition to even rookie guard Jalen Williams off and on during the early days of the year, as Thunder fans now find themselves reimagining a season that many projected to be bleak at the onset of the year. To me, Josh, I'm just going to keep game honest with you. The Thunder are a team that I think a lot of teams in the league, they take for granted on a night-to-night basis. They think, well, because this is a young squad, guys not going to come in ready, this is going to be an easy win. And they get slapped in the mouth. Mm -hmm. Why? Because Mark, Mark Dagnall, he got these guys playing hard, and he's a guy who, while I don't know or believe will be the coach of the year, he should get some coach of the year votes because he's using everybody in his rotation right now and making things happen. From on Waters, hitting big-time catch-and-shoot triples. The other Jalen Williams, might will well call him thing one and thing two. The taller version, the one from Arkansas. He just had a game where he put up 11-6 against the Sixers off the bench. He's coming into his own. Josh Giddy can't nobody really stop him from getting inside the paint right now. And, you know, it seemed like he had an eye pass down the lane against Brooklyn the other night while I was watching on league pass. He was getting wherever he wanted. And if the double came, it was too late. He was able to kick it out to the shooter, knock down the three. Lou Dort holding his own we know about him well enough dating back to the days in which Chris Paul was there and managed to take a team that a lot of people thought was lottery bound into the playoffs and we ain't even mentioned Shea Gilders Alexander who is currently fifth in the league and scoring with nearly 31 a night. and oh by the way he racking up nearly six assists a
1: game Man,
0: Oklahoma City Thunder, um, when it comes to this season, you mentioned the Chris Paul year, you know, where he came into town and just wanted to be a mentor to these young guys, at least for a season, you know, get them in the right direction. And the next thing you know, maybe after the next year, they can at least start trying to look at a rebuild. The fact that that Shea alexander was part of that team, and is now leading that team to the to the uh, even though they are currently the 11th spot in the in the west they're competitive as heck every night that's something that is a testimony to not just chris paul and his leadership but Shea goes alexander's willingness and effort to learn from the best and apply that wisdom to be the leader in the face of the franchise where now Oklahoma City has a chance any given night, whether you like it or not. And sometimes, yeah, you're not just gonna get smacked; you won't get a beat down because the way they will do it is kill you defensively and don't let it get in the transition game. That young team is running and gunning. And if you're my, and if you uh, watched last week against the Miami Heat, yeah, I, I guarantee, try to throw a two-three zone at them. Shane said, it, don't even, it doesn't even matter. I'm still going to give you 30. How do you want it? <laughs> right? Like, so, what I see is a growing and advanced stages of what this Oklahoma City Thunder team is supposed to look like. And these to remind you, they're playing this well without their number two draft pick, Chet Holmgren. I didn't bring that up. I was waiting for you to bring that up. Yeah, Chet is yeah. not even playing right now. He's out for the whole season. Yep. Imagine when he gets healthy and comes back and you talk about a play-in tournament and you talk about them being contenders for potentially in a play-in. Oh, I think that's it. When you look at the Western conference, there's two teams ahead of them, the Trailblazers and the Timberwolves. I would never bet against Damian Lillard. So we all know Damian Miller is going to, he's going to keep that Trailblazer team somewhat playoff afloat. But Minnesota's struggling, bro. If they ain't making any moves, I don't see them going far considering they haven't figured out how to make that dynamic work with Rudy Gobert in, in, in Minnesota, especially in the offensive end. So if, if, the Jazz continue to struggle, if the Jazz struggle, Golden State right now is, you know, I expect them to be in the playoffs, but they're currently sitting at seven. They're not a good road team. What if they continue to slip? That gives Oklahoma City a good chance to climb up in the standings and, and, play, and be part of that play-in. So yeah, they're legit contenders in that in that way. I think it's possible. And if I'm one of the top teams in the Western Conference, that's one of the worst teams to play against because you got because that's that's one game, one one bad game against Oklahoma Oklahoma City with Shae Go Alexander being the number five top five scorer in the league, thirty plus. I don't know if you want, want to put that chance. And this is a young team that can really shock the world when it comes to. Playing against the best of the best in the Western Conference, so yeah, it's definitely possible. But the fact that they're playing this well right now, without Chet Holmgren, and knowing all the picks Sam Presti got, they're probably gonna have another good pick next year. I, I, man, I don't know, man. It's it's scary. But I want to ask you this real quick question. Yeah. Chet Holmgren has been out all season long. We obviously heard reports over time about, about his progression that was making progress. Do you think if the Thunder actually make the playoffs, we have a good chance of seeing a Chip uh appearance? No, nah, I doubt it. I doubt it. The only reason I doubt that is because that's a hell of a situation to throw a rookie in to when he hasn't, play a minute of regular season action I think that this will be Chet Holmgren's red shirt year no matter what happens or how the season unfolds for the Oklahoma City Thunder with all of that said though I think when you bring that up into this conversation that makes what they're doing all the more impressive man and not to even mention Josh Giddy, who has been huge over the last 10 games for this ball club. He's shooting around, I want to say, close to 35% or better from the three-point line in his last 10 games. And he's getting to the rim at will. And what I like about this squad, like I said, they just, they competitive. And in a Western Conference where you only have like a handful of squads that are over 500, that six through 10 is going to fluctuate like crazy. Mind you, Phoenix right now isn't really doing that well. Right.
1: Phoenix
0: right now as I pull up the standings, as I, as I bring this up, and I'm on the microphone talking, Phoenix currently
1: sits 12th.
0: A half a game below the Thunder. And they uh, it, you, you got several teams fighting for four spots in the play-in, which is seeded, seed seven through 10. Yeah, I don't see why the Thunder don't have a chance. I really don't. I don't see why they don't have a chance when, when you when you put it all in a context like that. And oh, by the way, these dudes defend.
1: Yeah,
0: and they ain't just been beating crappy ass teams. They beat Boston at home. They beat the Sixers on the road. And they're not really that great of a role team if you look at their record. And they also Came into Chicago, knocked off the Bulls, and then following that up, we going into Brooklyn and knocking off a next team, even though he didn't have Kevin Durant. And did so, I believe, by double digits. So when I when I look at the way that Dagnall got this group playing, he, he deserves some credit and some praise. And let him tell you, based on some quotes I was reading on social media. They're not ready just yet. But that's the fun part about this group. Do they really have to be? All they got to do is just come out and compete and let the chips fall where they lay. And they really playing their house money. And if you're the Clippers right now, and you're on as Frank in that front office regime, you kind of got to be asking yourself, hey, did we make the right decision? Trading our future away? Mm. With Shea Gilders Alexander and all of these draft picks to go and get Paul George? Because right now, Shea Gilders Alexander has more total points on the season than Paul George and Kawhi Leonard combined. Would you have ever thought that? Entering the halfway point of the regular season where we are right now as it is recorded. I sure as hell wouldn't have. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> not at all. That, that's that's kind of scary. Yeah. That's <laughs> scary if you really think about it. Yeah, that and that, but it just shows the growth of him and, and it just shows the growth of Shea Gilgest Alexander. And even though he took a leap, we have to remind you that last season was a leap too. Uh-huh. That, that this was just he's always, he's progressed ever since he left the Clippers to go to the Thunder. That first year with uh, with Chris Paul, you know he he played better, but then he got even better the next year. wasn't uh, wasn't outstanding like this, where it's so so public so you know, out, so public to see, but he got better in in, in little ways. but this year was that what that was that jump. You know, he took that responsibility of signing that max deal now. So now that you're the max player and they trust in the keys to the franchise, that This is him saying, okay, look here, I've arrived now. I'm glad you're me the keys to the door because uh, I'm coming right in. The, Oklahoma City hasn't had this type of level of play since Russell Westbrook. Like that's something that for Oklahoma City, knowing that when they got rid of Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook, you never thought they would get to this level again. But they are. And they have one person that's leading the front and Shea guilty Alexander which is making that future over there looking pretty bright. That's something special to acknowledge. Oh, indeed. And the funny part about it is you had some people trying to forecast Oklahoma City trading SGA away prior to the start of this season or at the deadline. And I'm like, for what? Even back then, for what? What you doing that for? That's one of your building blocks right there, no matter how your season plays out. I think that's off limits right now. I think that conversation is is null and void and over with at this time. But I want to move the show along from the upstart squad at OKC to discuss a team that is on the heels of the Celtics for the best record in all of basketball right now. And they lie in the heart of the Rocky Mountains known the most as the Denver Nuggets, who currently have a 30-13 and record through the halfway point of the season. They're riding a six-game win streak into their tilt against the Portland Trail Blazers as of this recording. Nuggets boast the third-best offensive rating in the month of January, scoring nearly 122 points per 100 possessions, to no surprise, Left behind the reigning back-to-back MVP, Nikola Jokic, who for the first time in the last couple of years has his running mates and guards, Jamal Murray, and forward Michael Porter Jr. at his side, healthy, dating back to their days in the bubble as they stand atop of the Western Conference beside Memphis as we speak. We're currently in week 14 of the NBA season, Josh. Has Denver done enough to cement themselves as the team to beat in the conference, to you, I would say yes, just simply because of what you just mentioned. Uh, prior to uh, the transition, you got your running mates with him now. Jokic is not is, is not the standalone guy there. You got Michael Porter Jr., who has continuously evolved ever since he arrived in Denver and, and played when he when he played healthy, and Jamal Murray. Um, you know Jamal, they missed Jamal Murray last season which is why they didn't go as far as they could have. But they also got better reinforcements too coming off that bench. You got Bruce Brown playing at a high level. Tavis Caldwell Pope shooting the ball, playing uh, playing on both ends of the floor to counteract with the, with the improved play of Aaron Gordon. They finally know how to play Aaron Gordon when it comes to playing with Jokic. So I think, with all those factors fat coming into play and the fact that they've been deep in the playoffs runs before and gotten their hearts broken. I think they're prepared to make another run to where maybe they have a really good chance to get over the hump. Um, I think that experience combined with the fact that, you know, you had your reinforcement, your full reinforcements that go around. That's, that's, that's the biggest key. But at the end of the day, just because you are cemented in this role doesn't mean you got to actually, going to actually fulfill it. The team only goes as far as Jamal Murray can take him. Jamal Murray is the X factor in this whole thing. Jokic has proven night in and night out he is one of the best. He's argued he has a a chance of being the best player in this league, knowing that he's the two time back to back MVP and on the verge of being in the race again for a potential third MVP. So we know what Jokic is going to do, but the team only goes as far as the second best player, and that's Jamal Murray. We know what he can do, but now that he's healthy, we got to see what the future looks like down the road when it comes playoff time. But currently right now, constructed, oh, yeah, Denver's one of the scary teams that you don't want to play against in any round of the playoffs. You know, I, I want to believe in this team. This was a team that I always expected to be a perennial playoff team once Jokic began to come into his own it's kind of funny because several years ago I was doing a show with one of my homies Brendan Welper at Radio DePaul we was talking about Jokic and I was asking him is he the most underrated player in the league or the player in the league that the majority of America sleep on right now we well past that Mm -hmm. everybody know who he is but with that said You bring up Jamal Murray being the X Factor of this Nugget squad. I trust Jamal Murray. Or at least the Jamal Murray that I saw last time he had a chance to play in the playoffs and was actually healthy. And that was in that bubble. That Jamal Murray, if I see that again, yeah, I I trust that guy. And I at least know that he's capable of it. To me, the biggest X factor is going to be Michael Porter Jr. If he's healthy and can provide them with quality minutes, not only as an elite catching shooter, but making the most out of his touches, it's it's, it's going to be scary for opponents. And... Also, if he can prove to be serviceable on the defensive end of the floor, which I have to give him his credit as of lately. He's been playing great defense lately, and in turn is leading to wins. And he's made strides on that end of the floor. Like, one of the things that impressed me the most with this group in Denver is that they didn't have Jokic in L.A. when they were taking on the Clippers due to a hand injury. But Murray stepped up. Mm-hmm. put in like 24, I believe, at night. And they won by 12. Michael Porter Jr. also stepped up. And he wasn't just looking to take threes. He was actually driving inside to the lane and getting two points consistently. And one thing he said in an article that I had the pleasure of reading in the Denver Post, he was talking about how he feels very healthy. And he's trying his best to linger and play through the pain as much as he can. And even though he's having to jump off his right foot more than he's accustomed to, he's finding a way to make it work. I just hope that guy can stay healthy. Because if he can, to me, he's the biggest difference in regards to whether or not Denver can do the unexpected or. They end up where they always have been, and that's on the outside looking in at the rest of the league competing for the Larry O'Brien Trophy. I think they submitted themselves as a legitimate contender.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is the team to beat? I I want to say yes, but right now I'm I'm still in that show me phase. They got to show me. I, I they got they got to show me. It, it's some teams in the West. That if fully healthy, I would would buy more stock in than Denver. Memphis is one of
1: them. Mm -hmm.
0: New Orleans, although they are a mystery in the sense that we have not seen a healthy Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and CJ McCollum on the floor for a long extended period of time. That's the team I, I I would buy stock in especially if they make a move at the deadline to acquire not only a point guard, but a center who can protect the rim. And I believe they're definitely going to be aggressive over there. Trajan Langdon and, and, and Griffin and, and, and Swin Cash and them. I, I think they're going to be aggressive, but I, I don't know if they've done enough for me to submit themselves as the team to beat in the West just yet. But it's hey, open. I, I understand, man. I understand. And reason why I said Jamal Murray is going to be the X factor to, to see as far as they can go, because it's not that I don't trust Jamal Murray. I trust Jamal Murray. I don't trust Michael Porter Jr. Because as well as Michael Porter Jr. can score and shoot the ball effectively, he can also drain you and put you out of games too. Because the yeah. volume is so high. And he looks so aggressively to look for shots, which is not always a bad thing. But he likes to play sometimes out of the offensive flow. So when he, so when he's not shooting the ball well, he actually shoots the teams out of games, and that's not what Denver needs, considering what Jokic and Jamal Murray already bring to the table. So if Michael Porter Jr. doesn't stay in his lane, I can't trust that. You know, I gotta trust that Jamal Murray is gonna put is going to ring him in along with Jokic to, to put the team back in the position that they need to be to keep moving forward, which has always been uh, Denver's struggles in previous seasons. So I totally understand where you at with the, with, as far as cementing themselves as a team to be. Um, I just think this year I saw growth in the fact that not just in their, you know, their core players, and especially having a healthy Jamal Murray, but the fact that they got a better bench, I think those additions of Bruce Bowen and Katavius Caldwell Pope are difference makers coming off the bench. Considering the previous years that Denver had, and that was a struggle of theirs in those previous years. Not having the strongest bench, they have, they've always had solid bench players, but not the strongest that helped them get to the, get them over the hump. I think they have that this year. But Denver's also known for being so great in the regular season that when it comes to the playoff time, they eventually collapse. Exactly. So I can't put, so I, I let's put it this way. Right now they have my stock, but just like any stock market, if I pull out in the right amount of time and invest in somebody else, I still get my money's worth.
1: <laughs> That's so true.
0: Denver right now has my money, but basically come playoff time, if they don't see anything better, if I don't see any signs that things can be different, oh, that stock's going to get pulled out. and I'm putting myself in another investment because like, just like you said, Denver got to show me what's good. I'm looking at them right now. Right now, yeah, they are. But when you talk about the future, oh, we in the same boat. I'm just going to make sure I put my stock early so I can get my money's worth back. And I can put it in another team to invest and in, take my money that much further. And then another guy we haven't talked about or really shown some, some love to and a guy that could be considered among players in the running for the six Man of the Year Award is the man out of VCU, the guard, Bones Highland. Highland, yep. He's been big off the bench. He's averaging 13, three assists, shooting 40% from beyond the arc. If he could give them any extra boost on the offensive end of the floor, on nights where a Jamal Murray ain't got it, or Michael Porter Jr. is laboring, a little bit, going through a rough funk, yeah. Like that, that could be that could be a, a big addition for them as well. And I know he's helped them greatly off of the bench as of late in some games, especially in their most recent win against Orlando Magic, in which we saw Nikola Jokic hit a game-winning three mm-hmm. to seal the deal in a contest that came down to the wire. But I want to move away from Denver to talk about the Western Conference from a broad context. The Nuggets, Grizzlies, Pelicans, and Kings, they currently sit among the top four of the West to many surprise at this point of the year. What do you make of that? You know, has the West officially become the weaker conference in the NBA? And the only reason why I ask you this question, I've been seeing a lot of people across NBA Twitter, complain about how the West is weak. And I find that interesting because is it as strong as it used to be? I don't think it is. But I find it funny how we always say that the West is weak. Whenever we don't see teams that we were accustomed to seeing throughout our time following the game, not among the creme de la creme in the West anymore. Because since 2000, there have only been five teams to make it out of the West and represent the conference in the NBA Finals. And that's the Lakers, the Spurs, the Mavericks, the Thunder, the Warriors, and the Suns. So I stand correct, that's six teams, only six. Like, just because you haven't seen those Six at the top of the conference. I don't know if that means that the conference is like truly weaker. But well, what do you make of that? It's, it's not weaker. I think it's just more diversified. Cause you talk about the teams, you know, those six teams you just mentioned. Out of those sixteen that just mentioned, how many of those teams actually made it to the Western to the finals more than once? Good point. Less than half of them. Four of them, right? So, Four of them. Yeah. So when you think about that compared to what the roster looks like right now, where if you look at the top four, none of them have ever been to the finals. I mean, it's a new, you got to be a basketball fan to enjoy this. Because this, all you're seeing is a new era in basketball. Times are changing. Teams that have been down for the longest are finally, finally coming up on the up and round teams that have been so successful for so long are now going on the downhill. And, I, and the reality is even some of those teams that are new, they still, they're just in a funk right now. They're in an inconsistent way. Because when you talk about a talent perspective, let's be very serious. Phoenix Suns is one of the most talented teams in the Western Conference. No one expected them being dropped to the 12th seed right now. Um, you know, go, even Golden State. Only reason why they're number seventh in the West right now is because they suck on the road. If they actually was playing better on the road, they'll be a top four team in the Western Conference. You know, so it's like, it's a new era in basketball. That's all I can really say about it. It's just a new era in basketball to where the Western Conference isn't necessarily weaker. Is it weak compared to the early thousands where it was at its highest peak? Oh yeah, it's not as strong as that point, but it's still pretty darn strong. The only difference is it's diversified. So now the teams that weren't winning as much during that era, now they're winning. And it's a great thing as a basketball fan to see. It's new blood, new excitement. It's, um, it's great for the league. We talk about spreading the wealth of the bread. Like, everybody thought the league was crashing down until you saw the We Believe team of the Warriors, right? They overcome the Warriors, and now all of a sudden, oh, it's the league's best favorite team to watch. They were the AC in the West the Conference. No one expected the Warriors to be good, but yet they went to the playoffs and knocked out the number one seed. That's what we live for. We want those storylines. We want that experience and that exposure. We, we could have that this year. The Pelicans, I'm not surprised by Memphis, per se, because of their success over the past couple of years. But the Pelicans and the Kings, you're talking about two teams that barely made the playoffs since the early thousands. They're in the top th- top three four teams of the Western Conference. That's yeah. That's historical, you know. Especially you are talking about the players that represent these franchises. Zion Williamson, box office. De'Aaron Fox, box office. These are players that you are willing to pay money to to go check out at, in, in, in the NBA. John Moran in Memphis, box office. You would go to pay to pay and see, to watch him play, even when Dallas. Luca, everybody's paying money to see this, brother. So it's like, it's a new era of basketball that a lot of people from maybe the older heads and older times of basketball don't want to embrace. And that's okay. But our generation, this new age era of basketball, we're embracing the heck out of it because this is the first time we see teams that never got the quite success that, that they could have had over these past years and time. They're actually getting it now. And they're making a huge difference in how we look at the game of basketball and how we look at the league in general. It's going and and that's something exciting that you have to be excited for as a basketball fan, not just an NBA fan, but a basketball fan. That's the difference. You 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 hit the nail on the head, man. Spot on. I I agree with you, and the fact that these four franchises that currently sit in the top 4 of the Western Conference playoff picture all small markets in a way mm-hmm. i kind of feel like this was david stern's dream oh yeah this is why david stern was hellbent and and excited when the Cleveland Cavaliers got the number one overall pick in the 2003 NBA draft to select a forward out of St. Vincent St. Mary High School, who we now know is LeBron James, this is this is what he was fighting for. So in a way, he's kind of looking up in heaven, like, "Hey, I got what I wanted," and with the way in which these contracts are structured where guys after their first four years in the league are deemed to be restricted free agents and can have their highest bids from opposing teams matched by the teams in which they were drafted by that guarantees these markets at best at least seven or eight years of top-tier talent or guys that they consider to be cornerstones of their franchise. And the guys in which you name, Josh, are franchise cornerstones, Mm -hmm. such as Nikola Jokic, who was drafted by the Denver Nuggets as a second-round pick. John Moran, who was selected with the second overall pick. Zion Williamson, who was selected with the number one overall pick in the same draft class as John ja Morant back in 2019. And De'Aaron Fox, who was a top 10 lottery pick mm-hmm. in his draft class. So when you when you when you think about it like that, I mean, you you really can't be too shocked by it. And what the what these organizations have done, and kudos to them is they built up a a franchise that's attractive enough to maybe not necessarily entice the top 10 stars, but the borderline stars enough to say, well, you know what? I want to come here. And I'm attracted to what you have here because I know we had a potential to win. And when you have a top 10 player in these respective markets, You never know what can happen. I think it's really much fuss about nothing. Do I think the East is stronger than the West right now? Yeah. And that's okay. But to sit up and say that it's become the weaker conference solely because of the fact that you don't know as
1: a fan who makes up
0: these teams? I mean, that's on you. Because, like you said, Josh. These teams are coming to compete. And when I look at Sacramento and know the history of Sacramento, being a young child, first coming up as a fan of the game, watching games on the NBA or NBC, and seeing the crowds at the old Arco Arena with the Cowbills and whatnot, those fans love the game just as much as the fans in New York do and just as much as the fans in Boston do, in L.A., in Chicago, and now they finally got a competitive team to root for, which is kind of cool, considering the fact that, for those who don't know, Sacramento almost lost their team due to not having an arena deal in place on an arena that was satisfactory to NBA conditions. And if not for Kevin Johnson, who was the mayor at the time, fighting for them to build that new arena in which they planned in, in the Golden 1 Center, you might not even have a team there no more. And I know that some people will say, well, that's no big deal, but to those fans of Sacramento it would have been because they've been supporting that team for years, since day one, from the time they moved from Kansas City over there. And, and, and it's funny how you mentioned, you know, the small markets thriving in the Western Conference. You know, Eastern Conference got some small markets that thrived over time, too. Yeah, Look, you look, a prime example is Brooklyn. No one wanted to come to New Jersey, <laughs> you know, but Kevin Durant, Kyrie Urban, chance and narrative. I'm not going to go to the Knicks, where that is the whole team of New York. No, nah, I'm going to go to Brooklyn. They chose the smaller market team of the city. Look at Milwaukee and what they're doing over there in Milwaukee. You, you draft Giannis. Giannis brings you a championship. He could have left to go to another team but he chose to stay long term and he got you a championship ring philadelphia philadelphia may not you know be championship ready yet but you have players that stay like joel Embiid, who helped bring good guys over there like the james hardens of the world you talk about cleveland cleveland was trash before lebron got there lebron gets there they finally bring him a ring after multiple play of uh, you know final runs but even when they leave, they rebuild. And now you got Donovan Mitchell there that actually was cool with being traded there. you got Darius Garland that wants to stay there long term. you got the Jared Allens that want to stay there long term. And now they're competing in the Eastern Conference. This goes throughout the whole entire NBA. They were, they were starting to jump in his casket, wishing he was allowed to see this. But that's how, he really is. He, that, that's how serious it is. Because like you said, this is what he wanted. But Adam Silver knows that. And now he's exploiting it because now it's more of a national game now. Now they're trying to expand what they're doing in the league and putting it other parts of the country, of, of different parts of different countries. So you have to be an avid basketball and NBA fan to understand the dynamic change that's taking place within the NBA right now. And if you don't fully understand that, you will be bitter about the fact that your favorite team in Los Angeles is sitting at the bottom of the Western Conference, even with a star in LeBron James, who even though he's 38 years old, and at times, I'm not going to lie, Father the time it, makes it seem like he's still 40 with the way he runs. But at the end of the day, he's still giving you almost 30 a game, right? Like, the bigger markets are still suffering. Look at the Bulls. We thought for the longest we, 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 we've arrived, we got boots back. We got, we got three star all-stars on our team. You know, we're rolling. Look at us suffering at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, barely trying to get a taste of the crumbs at the master's table. Like, that's just pretty much what we're looking at in the Eastern Conference. And it's amazing to see how these small markets are thriving with less resources compared to the big teams who are struggling. That's very interesting to see. It and the fact that that dynamic is changing now, yeah, y'all, y'all better get real used to this. Make sure your seat is real comfortable because the new era has arrived. But you know why you're saying it? You're saying it because, see, when you're in a small market, you have a smaller margin for error. You have to hit on the draft picks. And I don't consider the Brooklyn Nets as the small market franchise, so to speak. Although I get what you're saying. Because Brooklyn is to the New York market what the Clippers are to the L.A. market. They're the second team in the second city. But uh, Milwaukee is an incredible example. And I'd even add Indiana, who has been very successful over the last 25 to 30 years in spite of the fact that they never won an NBA championship, dating back to the days of Reggie Miller and Larry Bird being the head coach there and Isaiah Thomas. And Rick Carlisle following in his footsteps, who is now back with the franchise for his second tenor mm-hmm. with a young point guard in Tyrese Halliburton. But you, you have a smaller margin of error. And, and I want to say this real quick. You have so many fans for the longest who have been bitching about the lack of parity in the NBA.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, you know, it's the same teams every year. You know, I, I can remember hearing that argument when Cleveland and Golden State met in the finals four years in a row. Now, you kind of have some parity and you don't know what to do. And I've always been someone who, you know, I don't try to hold any sympathy for small market teams. If you mess up through the draft, then find your way out of it. Spend right. the money if you have to. Same with the, with the bigger market teams. Even the big market teams, who are sometimes reluctant to spend money. And I won't say no names. I'm just going to speak facts to that. That's true. That happens. But as a fan, don't complain about the lack of parity. When for years, this is all that you was asking for, and you was complaining about the lack of it. And I'm almost 30 years old. And if there's one thing I can say about the NBA that a lot of NBA fans don't think about, nor really ponder upon enough for me is that I can honestly say that I've seen every team maybe outside of the New Orleans Pelicans and the Charlotte Hornets have a legitimate chance at winning an NBA championship. I can honestly say that at least once, even if they never done it. Hell, never got to a conference finals. They did. With, with, with Carmelo Anthony. They've gotten to a conference finals with Nicole Jokic. They've been to two conference
1: finals within the last 14 years. That's more than the Bulls in the last 25 years.
0: And why is that? Because of how they drafted the personnel in the front office, the scouting departments. Their margin for error is smaller. Some of these franchises aren't attracting a top five or 10 player in free agency. The only way they get those players is if they draft them. Damn. But I want to, yeah, but, but I, I, you know, I, I that, that, that's just something, to, you know, for food for thought because I don't think a lot of people really ponder on that, bro. But I, I want to move along real quick. This was speaking on the top half of the Western Conference to two teams who were expected to be there. However, they find themselves fighting to reach higher ground after entering training camp with lofty expectations. And that's the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Clippers. Clippers are this recording. They've won three out of their last 10 games, continuing the deal with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George being in and out of the lineup through various parts of the season. Not to even mention key role players such as Norman Powell and John Wall as of late who have had to miss time due to injury. Currently set a half a game up on the Warriors going into about against the 76ers. As we're talking on this, I believe L.A. is currently sixth in the Western Conference play- playoff picture, excuse me. Meanwhile, the Dubs sit at five hundred with a 22-22 record which one could say is sort of a miracle considering their 5-17 and record on the road away from the Chase Center, which is among the worst one in the league right now. Stephen Curry just recently returned this past week from a shoulder injury. I almost think that the defending champs may need to make a move in an effort to go back-to-back once again. To me, I'm concerned about both of these California franchises. But if I had to choose which one I'm concerned about the most, between the Clippers and the Warriors, it's simple for me. I'm gonna say the LA Clippers, and here's why. When you have guys like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, even though when healthy, you could argue are easily among the top 10 or 15 players in the league, depending on where you wanna rank them. When they're not playing consistently together, and we're at a midway point of the season, That 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 that's that's troublesome, especially when your team is free falling in the standings. They can't afford to not have these guys together as the year goes forward. And once you get past the all-star break. This can't. And I think this team, in spite of the talent that they have on paper they got to start treating some of these regular season games way more seriously than what they have been. And they can't just think that it's going to be a gravy train to the title. So I'm more concerned about the Clippers just because of the fact that I see stretches from them where even in spite of their greatness, like their offense gets stagnant. It's not playing with a pace. Or tempo, especially when John Wall is out. And then when you're missing role players that are key to your success, like a Norman Powell, who's had a hell of a year off the bench when he has played, you know, you you, you gotta you gotta figure that out quick. But what's your thoughts on that, Josh? Like what what California franchise are you concerned about the most right now between the Clippers and the Warriors? Clippers. You haven't won anything. Why, why would I, work, why, why would I work, be worried about a franchise that won stuff? Warriors won four, de- four, four titles in eight years, six, eight years. That's nothing. This is, all they're doing is, just, if anything, they're worrying about who's coming back next year. They ain't worried about this season. They, 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 they have solidified themselves as what a dynasty looks like with the championship that they won last season. I think that's all they were worried about. Okay, we're a dynasty now. It's official. We won our fourth ring. I'd be cool. But, and this is just another, you know, first half of the year where they're just trying to figure stuff out. That's, that's fine. Jet lag. They'll fix figure it out. They'll get better. They might even plan to play in the playing tournament, but guess what? You get hot at the right time. You don't want to play against the Warriors. We already get that. The Clippers, however, this was supposed to be your year. You're supposed to have a healthy Kawhi. You're supposed to have a healthy Paul George. You brought in Norman Powell Rob, to go with Robert Covington. And you brought in John Wall, who last year was supposed to be your missing piece. You were struggling with point guard play. You got a healthy John Wall, who can still contribute at a decent level. This And, and not to mention, you, I have, you have arguably one of the greatest coaches in the league in Ty You shouldn't be taking that extra leap already. But now you barely survive above water. There's no excuse. You have all the talent in the world, from starters to your role players. You have arguably the best talented roster in the whole entire league. And yet y'all can't win games together? Y'all can't find a way to pull those strings and step up in ways where your, your, your role players were starters on other teams. They should know how to, st- how to have that next man up mentality and ball out when you know for a quite frankly, you can't trust Paul George or Kawhi Leonard to be healthy for a full 82-game season. That's the expectation you should have knew when you signed up playing for the Clippers. But to see them play at this rate, where their defense is bad, defense is atrocious, but offensively, there's no rhythm, there's no understanding, and it's like, Guys don't know what the roles should be when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are not on the floor. Yeah. it's They're so used to playing those role-player roles that they don't know whether to go back to the starter roles that they had in their previous teams or to stay in a, their certain lane that they have light up with the Clippers. You got to figure that out because right now you can't guarantee Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to be healthy. And fully running and ready to go as a well-oiled machine, come play all time. You can't expect that. So you got to figure out who actually needs to stop come out of that role-player role and be the starter role that we know that they can play. Then that's something that Ty Lue has to figure out. And if anything, I trust that Ty Lue will figure that out. He's one of the best coaches to figure those things out. But, yeah, it's very disappointing considering you literally had – Arguably, before the season started, on paper, the best roster in the league, with arguably the top three coach in the league, and the most enthusiastic money-spending owner you ever could have in the league, and yet you're struggling to just survive and breathe above water. Yeah, that's a problem considering that the, the other California team already has four rings and can afford a season to lose. And mind you, the team that playing your building, they got, what, 17 banners mm-hmm. up there at the Crypto? And that's something that you have to look at, even though they do now, like, put a drape over the banners. And they're trying to establish their own culture, which I love. I respect it. They want to pay an homage to the blue-collar citizens of L.A. I like that. But if you're going to pay homage to the blue-collar citizens of L.A., you got to come ready to work. And the motto that I've seen watching games on League Pass when I watch Clippers games is give no quarter. I think they need to put that in the locker room somewhere for them guys. <laughs> It'd it just be like, hey, man, Look, we at one point in time the Clippers were in the top four or three in the Western Conference play playoff picture. And they were looking really good. Now, with all these injuries, and, and Paul George status being in limbo with his hamstring, even though I do believe, according to reports, and our man Law Murray from the Athletic, who covers the Clippers, beat writer, who we follow very closely. He's been a part of some shows here on War Media's platform in the past, he was saying that Paul George at some point will, will be cleared to return soon. I know he's he's, tonight. Okay. Well, that, that's good to know as it is recording, he, he'll be playing this evening against the Philadelphia 76ers. I, I know it was a game time decision. Hopefully, you know, he, he, can, he can play tomorrow too because they got, they got some big games coming up. They got Philadelphia as it is recording on a Tuesday evening. And then they also play Utah this upcoming Wednesday on the road, which is, we know, is not an easy environment. And that's a young team that's going to be hungry and want to win. So, and, and, and even though we got San Antonio on Friday, like, you know, you, you, can't, you can't take any game lightly in the NBA. So, especially when you're in a position that they're in. So, I, I, I'm honestly concerned about them more than I am the Warriors for, for that reason because they got to get healthy, and they got to do it fast, and they got to start finding some chemistry with one another. They got too much talent to just be playing around with the season like that. And if they're not careful, we had this conversation before about the Clippers about a couple months ago. If they're not careful, they could find themselves in a playing game with a team like we were talking about earlier, such as Oklahoma City. A team that got nothing to lose, and all of a sudden, you plan playing for your playoff lives. And if it's any team who should know this better than anybody, it's the Clippers because what happened last year? Lost to Minnesota. Mm. Then you had to play for the eighth and final seed in your building against the New Orleans Pelicans. And what happened? Paul George went down due to COVID. And you lost because you had no PG and no Kawhi. They better get back quick. They better get back quick. But I want to move on to one of the final segments in our show prior to wrapping up this week's edition of Open Run. And that's part two of buyers and sellers. Last week, we discussed the Kings, Bulls, and the Suns and whether or not we saw them being teams that would be looking to upgrade in an effort to compete for the Larry O'Brien trophy. We'll wait until next year, as we are currently less than a month away from the NBA trade deadline. I want to start out this week with the New York Knicks, twenty-five and twenty-one record through the first forty-four games. Currently sit sixth overall in the Eastern Conference playoff picture, ranking the top ten in offensive efficiency, eleventh in defensive efficiency. Tied with the Brooklyn Nets for second most road wins in the NBA as of this moment, winning 14 out of their 22 games away from home on the 2022 23 campaign. Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, and RJ Barrett are all averaging at least 20 points per game or more. Randle's averaging a double double, putting up close to 25 and 10. Are the Knicks buyers or sellers at this deadline to you? Yeah. Uh, they're going to do some buying. They're going to do some buying. Um, (laughs) because, you know, you already heard the rumors. They're trying to get rid of D Rose. Um, they're trying to get rid of guys that they know they can get some type of quality, whether it's draft pick or player competition for, uh, knowing that knowing that, you know, those players aren't going to be playing on a roster when they could be playing somewhere else. And, I think the rise of grinds really just put D Rose out of the, out of the loop in that lineup. Yeah. Which is a very surprising thing considering has rode with D Rose, his whole career. Um, but you know, time has come to move you know, that, that train is in, it's time and it's time to get on the next train. So I expect D Rose to eventually get shipped, um, shipped somewhere. And I'll, I won't be surprised if they try to use D Rose as someone to get someone to uh, be additional, uh, player for the bench. Especially for, especially with that front court depth, because they need their front court depth uh, with the injury that they that you know Obi Toppin, those guys have had. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised they go that route. But you know, I think the biggest they have the biggest need that needed to be filled was with Jalen Brunson. They have a point guard now. So because they have a point guard, they're gonna just build around every, everyone else and just make it work, which right now is working for the Knicks, considering that they're six in the East, but I think they're going to buy in a way to boost to the bench and, and maybe use Derrick Rose to get some front court help because that's something that they need knowing that Obi Toppin isn't, you know, uh, a for sure scratch him when it comes to being healthy. And, you know, you, you, know, you need to figure out how to move, move with um, Mitchell Robinson potentially getting in foul trouble. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think the Knicks are buyers. They've been playing too competitively not to be a buyer. And I could see them flipping Derrick Rose not only potentially for a big man but a wing if they can get it. Mm. Because they need wing depth. And while Quentin Grimes has been great as a 3 and D player as of late, you know, like, they they have a, a roster where if someone goes down who's a impactful contributor it can affect the whole show
1: mm-hmm.
0: so they 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 have to get some some front court pieces i didn't think about a big man but now that you mentioned that yeah that could be a possibility but then if mitchell gets into foul trouble they do have isaiah Hardenstein, who has really been great off the bench as a member of their second unit so I think they'll be fine at the five, but if they can get a three, like a, a quality vet at the three for Derrick for Rose, I think they take that. I think they take that with, with no issue. And I definitely see them being a buyer, but I want to move along from the team in the city that never sleeps to discuss the team that lies in the capital of the Sooner state. We talked about them a little bit earlier on the show, and that's the Oklahoma city thunder. They currently sit, with a 21 and 23 record sit only just a half a game behind the Portland Trail Blazers for the 10th and final spot in the west playing in picture as we sit during this recording talking about them they stand 20th overall in offensive efficiency but have managed to make their mark as a unit on the defensive end ranking 10th overall in that department currently both a 13 and 9 record at home but stand with an 8 and 14 record on the road but they managed to surprise many around the league, getting wins behind enemy lines, defeating the Sixers and Nets over the last several days. In addition to knocking off the C's out in the OKC, SGA, he's proven to be the president of the council in OKC. He's ranking among the top five across the league and scoring with nearly 31 a game to go alongside a five and a half assists. Josh Goody been averaging 20 and eight rebounds a game with six assists, shooting over 50 percent from the floor in his last 10 outings. This was an organization, man, as we said earlier. They was expected to be in the running for Victor Wimbanyama or Scoot Henderson in the upcoming NBA draft this June. But they right on the outside looking in of the playoff picture right about now. We shared our thoughts already as to whether or not we think they're a legitimate player, play-in contender rather, out West. Do you think that the Thunder are going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline. I think they're gonna just wait this thing out till next year. They ain't making any moves. Okay, I, I think they're waiting until next year. Stick to the program. You're already overachieving what many have thought around the league, and probably what you thought within your organ, own organization to believe to achieve and believe. You're already doing above that. Continue to ride this wave. You know, if you get to the plan, if you get to the plan, that's great experience for this young group, this young group, and a young core. You can use that going into next season, knowing you'll have Chet Holgram. And based on where that draft is, because they have so many draft picks, you never know. They could be in that top five again and maybe be, be part of that school, uh, that school Henderson or Victor a sweepstakes. So, you know, imagine having those twin cities like that in Oklahoma City with, with, with SGA. That's going to be something special to watch. So, you know, having that with the, with the playoff experience potentially under the belt, I say just ride the wave, man. Just let it go the rest of the season and come back next, come back next year looking stronger than, looking stronger and improving on what you've uh, achieved this year. I think they're a team that's in the middle. I see them being a buyer but a low buyer. I could also see them being a seller. A guy like Darius Baisley, he can help a contender. And mm. some of these guys that they have on the roster, as great as they've been, All of them can't stick around. So they're going to have to get something in return for some of these young players that they have who might not fit into their core long-term. And Darius Baisley is a guy that I think they could get, you know, maybe a draft picker or or, or something that's nice for them, like another young player in return that fits a need on that team better than he does. I mean – Chicago Bulls, you might want to give them a call about Baisley with the way he played against you. And he really doesn't even get that many minutes. But in the minutes in which he has had, he's been an impactful defender. Three ball has been up and down, but when he's, you know, playing with confidence, he can shoot it well, at least from what he's shown through his first few years in the league. But I I I think they they they'll buy low. And if they do sell. They'll try and sell high on whatever assets that they do have. Mm-hmm. But the the core, such as the Lou Dortz, the SGAs, the Josh Giddies, they're not for sale. But I I I'll move on from the 405 out to north of the border to talk on the Toronto Raptors. Currently tied with the Bulls for the 10th and final spot in the Eastern Conference play in picture with a 20 and 24 record. As of this recording, while they're facing off against the Bucks. Out in Milwaukee, rank among the middle of the pack in both offensive and defensive efficiencies, sitting 14th and 13th overall, respectively, in both of those categories. They constructed a 14 and 11 record at home, but 6 and 13 on the road. They've lost a lot of close games this yeah. season on the road, even in spite of putting out a hard fought overtime win against the Knicks at MSG on MLK Day. Pascal Siakam, he's leading the way with almost 26 points a night, nearly eight rebounds and nearly seven assists per game, in spite of missing a couple of weeks earlier in the year due to a strain right groin injury, suffered in Dallas. Gary Trent Jr., Scotty Barnes, OG Anunobi, as well as Fran Van Vliet have also proven to be steady contributors as well for Toronto throughout the year under head coach Nick Nurse. There's been some rumblings going on around the league, man. A clue from Pelican's guard, C.J. McCollum, that Toronto is likely to be making some moves at the deadline on his self-titled podcast. Do you believe that the team in the six is a buyer or a seller?
1: Uh, Both.
0: Okay. They're, they're going to try to buy some stock to help create the core around uh, Scotty Barnes. That's their future right now. And um, I think they're going to eventually build towards that. Now, with that being said, I think they're going to be sellers because Fred Van Fleet turned down a contract extension. Yeah. So he's going. At, at this point, he set the free agency. If you want some capital back knowing that you may not be able to retain him next season, you may want to look and get, and get him rid of him. and Get at least some type of draft compensation or, make, or some young talent that can go with Scotty Barnes. Or... You also got to look at Pascal Siakam too. He's been the face of your franchise for a while. You guys haven't gotten back at deep player run since Kawhi Leonard left. Do you guys do, does Toronto really think that Pascal Siakam is going to be the key at the face of the franchise, take him to that next level? I don't know the answer to that. And if you and if Toronto does, considering that you might be considering trading Fred Van Vliet, Part of the rumors that's rumbling is they trying to look at, they're looking at Miles Turner and DeAndre Aiden. That's money. They got, they're all under the contracts except for Miles Turner. DeAndre Aiden got a max deal. You got to give us some type of bread to make that work and, and talent to go along with that. As that. That means you're looking at either like a Fred Van Fleet or an old or a Pascal Siakam. So I think they're going to be doing both. They're not going to just get rid of guys that they know they can't retain, but they're going to try to bring in some guys that fit the direction of where the team may be going, which right now, although Pascal Siakam is there, the future is on Scottie Barnes' hands. And I think that's what they're going to prepare for moving forward. I'm going to just be straight up. Toronto selling. They're going to sell for value. They're not just Mm going to sell for, for, you know, pennies on the dollar. But they selling. And I think when they do, it's going to be very clear and evident that Scotty Barnes is the Raptors face of the franchise. I've been hearing. A lot of rumors about the Suns being linked to Pascal Siakam. I don't know how they make it happen, Mm. but when you look at the way that this team has underperformed as of lately, even in spite of the injuries to Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Cam Johnson, and several other key rotational pieces being in and out of the lineup, man. They're going to do something. I also read a report prior to us recording from Shams that the Suns and the Magic have inquired about Fred Van Vliet. Yep, OG Nobi has mm-hmm. also been in constant trade talks and rumors. Yeah, they, to me, they selling. It's just, it's just clear as day. They, they have to be selling. I think Masai Ujiri is looking for some significant draft capital, and he's gonna build this thing around Scotty Barnes. I don't know who all gonna be, around, but it's gonna be a couple of pieces and names that we brought up. Who? At the end of the day, I do believe we'll, we'll be traded. Gary Trent Jr. can easily be traded as well. Teams value three-point shooting mm-hmm. and defensive play on the wing. He provides that. Yeah, yeah, Toronto, Toronto, selling to me. You could also argue, too. you jury might be selling himself, too. Yeah. Clear that deck. so For the new guy to come on in and say, guess what? I'm available. That's true. At this point, He's done. I think you can't do much more than what he's able to accomplish in Toronto. You can't. You can't get out of what that current roster has that you know that can bring you a title like Kawhi did, or even even from a drafting perspective, gives you what the Demar Derozan and the Kyle Lowry's did in their up and coming years. That's. I think he's done what he could over there, and and before even this past season. There were rumors of him linked to leaving, going to yeah. a team at the Washington Wizards to run the show. And if they signed a contract, if he signed that contract, session, which I believe he did, people were going to, they were going to trade for him. <laughs> so I will not be surprised that after this offseason, you know, he's clearing the deck now for that. So that way next season he could be traded, too. I would not, that would not surprise me if those rumors came back up again and if there's some actual traction and truth to that. I understand what you're talking about. I, I, I could see that as well. But I do believe, though, if he were to leave, and that's hypothetically speaking, he will leave them in a very good position because if he's going to blow it up like that to where he would be willing to give up Pascal Siakam that's going to cost some significant draft capital. And I do believe if he were to trade Pascal Siakam, he's going to get an emerging young player that he can at least pair Scotty Barnes with for the next several years Mm -hmm. north of the border. But I want to move away from buyers and sellers and talk about the top games this week across the association to watch out for in week 14 of the 2022-2023 NBA calendar. And for me, I got two for you. Thursday night, January 19th, finals rematch, Golden State at Boston, Mm -hmm. 6.30 p.m. Central Time, TNT. Stephen Curry erupted for 34 points and route to six triples to help Golden State capture its fourth title in the last eight seasons. In game six, of the NBA Finals last year in Boston. They returned to Boston to take on a team with the best record in all of basketball, the Boston Celtics. Last time these two teams met, it was on the second Saturday of December. Golden State mopped the floor with them out in San Francisco. Boston, you know, they like I said, they both the best record in basketball. Can they find a way to make a statement against the reigning champs who have struggled mightily this year on the road, as me and Josh have been talking about on this show. We got to find that out. And then another game, Saturday, January 21st, Philadelphia and Sacramento on NBA League Pass at 9 o'clock. Forget Netflix and chilling. As you have all summer to do that, this is the game to watch this week. You think that the big man has become extinct? This is a prime time bout on the west coast that you need to stay up a tad late for and watch and see otherwise as I know I'll be checking it out this game is going to feature the reigning scoring champ all-star center Joel Embiid averaging 33.4 points per contest as of this recording and is on pace to become the first center since Bob McAdoo to average at least 30 points for the second straight season going toe-to-toe against another fellow all-star and current league leader in rebounding with nearly 13 boards per night in DeMontis Sabonis. Mind you, if you're a fan of elite point guard play, this game also got James Harden going up against De'Aaron Fox in a matchup that will feature two contrasting styles. One team in Philadelphia, they like to play slow. The other team in Sacramento, so they get the rebound, they're pushing it. Sixers are currently 25th in pace this season. Kings are 5th in pace. Some got to give. But one thing I do know, them fans in California's capital city, they're going to have their cowbells ringing loud. It's going to probably be a sellout crowd too to watch their beloved squad take on one of the game's top squads right now at the Golden 1 Center. You definitely got to watch that. What's your top games to watch this week, Josh? Man, I got three games, and they're all happening in one night. Okay. January 20th. You can start your evening off on league pass when you watch the New Orleans Pelicans against the Orlando Magic. I All got right. to Zion Williamson go up against Paolo Banchero. You're my rookie of the year with the way that he's been playing, especially when you compare him with his teammate Bo Bo and the emergence of Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz has come around recently. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of big ways. I want to see how that dynamic plays against the big three, barely big, uh, at least the big two, and CJ McCollum and Zion Williamson so that's my first game but the second game you can kind of simultaneously simultaneously flip back and forth between the game I gotta kind of watch the Golden State Warriors against the Cleveland Cavaliers Steph Curry against Darius Garland you know Klay Thompson against Donovan Mitchell you got Draymond against Evan Mosley you got Jared Allen in the back against Kevin Looney you got Kevin Love coming off the bench I mean, what it do, baby? Yeah, it's, it's just, <laughs> that's just the last a nightmare full of matchups to watch, man. So that's definitely another show, another game I'm gonna watch. But the final one, you just got done talking about the Sacramento Kings. Sacramento Kings play against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, I gotta watch SGA go against Darian Fox. Now, I'm talking about a point guard matchup that's for the for the running. Oh man, that's gonna be epic right there. Young team against young team. Play, uh, both living up to higher expectations i want to see how this team matches uh, how both of those teams match up considering you never know if both of those teams continue to improve they could be playing against each other in the western in the western conference playoff race you don't know but it's definitely a possibility there's a nice little sneak peek for you right there happening on lead pass at the final game of friday night nine o'clock central time yeah, I, 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 I like that OKC-Sacramento game. I, I caught that one, too. I almost went with it, but I, I know the Kentucky fans will be watching that one. See an SGA going up against De'Aaron Fox and that point guard showdown between the two former lottery picks and guys that really might be the top guards to get selected among the reserves out west. Yeah, spots are gonna be hard to come by as we know because there's gonna be some guys that get slighted. I will hope it's not them, too. I really will, will hope that it's not them, too. But with all that said, I'd like to thank everyone who took out the time to either tune in or listen in to this week's edition of Open Run presented by War Media. Please make sure to follow the YouTube channel at War Media Vids where you can check out not only previous episodes of our show but also our good friend and producer of the show, Saul Rodriguez, assessing which given directions the Bears should go in with the number one overall pick in the draft this upcoming April, as well as all of the action set to take place in this year's NFL playoffs, including tuning in to the content available over on Instagram at War Media, where you can follow the moves as well. You can also make sure to subscribe to the Substack page also at warmedia.substack.com to follow written content from those part of the platform, such as my man Josh and others, as is definitely appreciated. For myself, Gabriel Wilkins, and my co-host, Josh Hicks, so long, everybody.